Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the 442 Podcast. And today, Liam, we've got a belter, an absolute dazzy belter. We've got Tom Huddleston, formerly of Derby County, Tom Hotspur, Wolverhampton, Hull City and England played over 580 career games, scoring 27. But I'm going to say it, best golfer we've ever had on. I'd have to agree with that, hands down, yes. He's uh, been, been magnificent today, that's for sure. We've used this word a lot, yeah. but we've got well and truly rogered again, of course. <laughs> Just a bit. Just a bit. More, more, more so me than you. Yeah, that was your finest game. No. Tom, have you enjoyed the golf? Yeah, no, it's been good. Um, as we mentioned earlier, it's a bit more nerve-wracking than when you're on the football pitch. Um, but managed to get a couple off the tee and uh, finish the holes all right today. No, his one bad shot was still his best shot of the game, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. 360 yard drive. Yeah, a bad one. Mm. No, you played brilliantly today. Enjoyed your company as well. You were fantastic. It was uh, good to watch, as they say. Just a top geezer all round. Derby County, Tom? Yeah, I started, uh, went to Derby at 13 years of age. Um, born and bred in Nottingham, so obviously the rivalry is a bit fierce. But I was at Forest from the age of 8 to 12 for four seasons. Uh, not sure if Forest would play in silly buggers kind of thing, because... There was probably two or three of us that were, I felt, quite a lot better than the rest of the squad. But I got half released in case of if you want to come back the following season on a six-week trial. But if they hadn't seen enough of me after four years, then another six weeks weren't going to do do much difference. And my last game, luckily for Forrest, was against Derby. And that was one of my best games. And Gary Bowyer, who has obviously managed at a good level since, was the under-12s manager then. And sort of said to my mum afterwards, understand he's having issues with his contract. I've got a two-year schoolboy form in the boot if he wants to sign it. She should have said yes, but she said he can go on a six-week trial like everybody else. So on start of the under-13 season, I had to go on trial at Derby and thankfully managed to uh, get a contract that had already been offered. <laughs> <laughs> so how old were you when you went Derby? 13, 14? Under-13 season, so I'd have been 12. Yeah. So just think 12. 
four years later, made your debut. Yeah, it was quite quite quick, obviously. There was a couple of us signed at the same age. Um, and I think now I'm doing a bit of coaching myself. We had the continuity with Gary Bowyer. So he was our under-13s manager. Then he moved up to under-14s. We had a good age group. So when we were under-15s, Gaz was under-17s manager. So we, he would take us up to play with him quite often. So we were playing two or three age groups above ourselves. Um, and yeah, it was bad time for the club, but on our behalf as young players, that gave us the opportunity. Uh, we was in the right place at the right time to be given a lot of games at a young age. Did you know you were going to make your debut at 16 year old? I actually thought I was going to make it at 15. <laughs> wow. Um, so I used to have Thursday mornings off school to train with the first team in my last year at school. Um, so I'd train with them, get the train back to Nottingham and get to school in the afternoon. And then literally one school holidays. The first game, I was on the bench at Hillsborough against Sheffield Wednesday. No, sorry, the first game was Millwall at the Den. So that was a bit of an eye opener. The Wednesday was at Pride Park against Sheffield United. Then the following Saturday, I was on the bench at, away at Sheffield Wednesday. And unfortunately, John Gregory didn't bring me on in any of them games. Uh, but to be involved as a schoolboy was something that I look back on now as an incredible achievement. But at the time, you're just sort of taking everything in your stride and it's all you're used to, really. To be involved at 15, though, it shows you how mature you were physically as well, because obviously playing against men, you can handle yourself. Size helped and made you stand out, I would imagine, at your own age. Yeah, for sure. As I say, from probably the age of 14, 15, myself, Lee Holmes, Nathan Doyle, there was a few of us that was always playing up in age. Uh, and as I'm sure you know, John, back then there was a proper reserve league. So it wasn't jumping from under-19s football into first team. You had under-17s, 19s, reserves, and then first team. And any of the first team lads who didn't play on a Saturday had to play on the sort of Tuesday or Wednesday night. So I probably racked up a dozen men's football games sort of in that time frame when I was 15 to 16. So once you know you can do it against first team lads that are playing reserve team football, it gives you that self-belief. And I'm always of the mindset that if the manager had the faith in me to play me, then I should have the faith and confidence in myself to go out and perform. You certainly did. Yeah, and I had a, as I say, it coincided with the club had been relegated, tried to get back up at the first attempt, didn't happen. So all the big hitters had to come off the wage bill. Your King Cladses, Branko Struper, Ravinelli, uh, Warren Barton, Rob Lee, and so on and so forth. So we were coming in as first year scholars. So there was a big void in the squad and it was made up of young players that first season. And we only just about managed to stay up. And then the following year, we finished fourth and got into the playoffs. So I think it shows you the skills that George Burley was able to incorporate with signings and uh, young players integrated into the squad. When you made your debut, who were the like senior pros helping you about, you know, looking after you? Um, at the time, um, he wasn't a senior pro, but Adam Boulder, um, Played a lot of games for Derby, QPR, and both Sheffield clubs, I think. Um, he was in and around the midfield. Simo Valakari, um, Steve Elliott at the back. And then in that first season, George signed Ian Taylor coming from Aston Villa. 
who played a lot of games and I'd grown up watching him. Michael Johnson coming from Birmingham. Jeff Kenner came in and they're players that... These are solid yeah, professionals. Yeah, solid players. And that was sort of the spine of our team, really. Um, and yeah, they, they helped all the young lads a lot, to be fair to them. So they bought into it, did they? Yeah, for sure. I think looking at first teams now, once you're over the age of 28, 29, a lot of managers aren't interested, but maybe 10, 15 years ago, majority of teams, you've had six or seven 30 plus year old players that you you filtered young players in and around. Um, and we definitely had that at Derby. So I'll take you back to George Burley. He was the man that gave you your debut. What's your thoughts or what's your recollections of that, that game? Well, it was strange because obviously I didn't expect to get anywhere near the first team that season. So I remember walking back to the digs through town when I was at Derby, we got dropped into town, walking back to the digs and we were playing Ajax in a friendly that night. And the lads were like, oh, where are you lot sitting? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, um, oh, I'm actually in the squad. So they're like, what, what are you doing? Make, get yourself back and get rested up. Ended up coming on in that, that game and they had Ibrimovic, Van der Vaart, Kivu. It was like a good Ajax team. Following week, started the last pre-season friendly. So I was thinking, might have half a sniff here, but still not expecting much. And then, yeah, I was in the team against Stoke on that first game. Felt like it was about 400 degrees. All of their players were six foot five plus. Um, and we got battered and bullied on the day, to be fair. Young squad and they come to Pride Park and battered us three now. But you got man of the match. Yeah, I got man of the match. Um, and obviously, my debut, you're giving everything. Um, and I always remember one instance towards the back end of the game. There was a ball between me and John Eustace and I'm where you get a million thoughts in half a second. I'm thinking, if you win this tackle, you'll be in the team next week. So that was one of my lasting thoughts through that game. Um, and I think it, not that we had a great season, but it toughened everybody up and Stoke were a big physical direct team then. Um, so yeah, it was a rude awakening to first team football kind of thing. Yeah, rude awakening, but I, in many ways, personally, a successful start. Yeah, you've definitely. made your mark on the game. You've, you've come out with man of the match at 16 years of age. So it's a good start. Yeah, it's a great start. Um, and at that age, or young players in general, almost selfishly, you're just thinking about your own performance and wanting to stay in the team. As much as you want to win and you're devastated that you've been beat, you're thinking, if I do myself a bit of credit, then it, it is a good, a good day all round. So season after, that's where it kicks in for you. 50 games played, but George Burley, I've done my research now, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but the two signings where I think made the difference. Greg Rock, Raziak, and Indio Iziak. Idiakus. Iziakus. Yeah, no, they were both incredible. Um, Inigo was technically probably the best player in the squad. Um, dead ball situations, getting us playing. Because even though it's only sort of maybe 20 years ago, there was maybe one or two championship teams that tried to play football the right way kind of thing. And George Burley had that reputation from Ipswich, wanted to get, get the ball down and play. So an ego was perfect for us. Myself played a lot in midfield, but probably that season was 80% of my games were at centre-back. Centre-back? Yeah. Um, 
So you're 17 year old then, weren't you? Yeah. Wow. But um, as I say, if you could half read the game a bit early, every team was playing up the channel. So get yourself in the channels quick enough and you read the play. They weren't too much intricate play. Um, and then, yeah, Gregor up top, I think he got, he was averaging one in two, which I know Ronaldo and Messi have <laughs> taken the numbers ridiculous, but at the time, one in two is an excellent record. Um, so yeah, he, he helped us get into the playoffs. And it's still disappointing because we lost to Preston over two legs. And I think if we had played either one of the other two sides, we would have got to the final. I think the other side were West Ham and we think we beat them twice that season. I can't remember who else the other one was, but Preston was sort of our bogey team for them two seasons I was there. Preston were not that good, didn't they? No, West no. Ham. I think West, West Ham, Ham beat them in the final, yeah. So you're playing a lot of games, making a name for yourself, centre-back and midfield. Did you have an agent then at 17, 18? Yeah, I had an agent from probably being about 15. Um, Terry Wesley, who was the academy director at the time, as I say, myself, Nathan Doyle, Dan Martin at the time, we were all playing for England in the Victory Shield team. So they sort of interviewed maybe eight to ten different agents that wanted to take us three on board and narrowed it down to two or three and let us speak to them as a family. Um, so yeah, I had, I had an agent at the time. So when did a club start knocking on the door? Um, there was always a few rumours and then I ended up signing for Tottenham in the January window with a agreement in place for the end of the season. And I think at the time, as I say, a lot of games were at centre-back. So Tottenham were willing to get the deal done there and then. I think Newcastle, Blackburn, Charlton were wanting to do it. Newcastle and Blackburn were saying they needed experience at the time, but they wanted to do it in the summer. I think Newcastle ended up signing Boomsong, the centre-half from Rangers, um, in that window. Um, but obviously at the time, Newcastle, uh, sorry, Man United, Arsenal, Liverpool, Chelsea were your top four cemented. And then after that, from, in my eyes, it was always Tottenham, Newcastle, Everton were the next three. So it was sort of impossible to turn down, although I nearly did last minute. Did you? <laughs> yeah, I went down to the, I went down to the training ground um, and it was a case of, we were like, third or fourth in the league with Derby. And I was, in my head, I'm thinking, I would rather get promoted and play regular with Derby in the Premier League than sign somewhere and maybe not play as regular as, as I would like to. Um, but then when I weighed up the opportunity and would it come around again, would it come around in the summer or injuries, it was, I decided to sort of go with it. It was Martin Yo, the manager. Martin Yo was the manager, but Frank Arneson was doing the signings at the time. Director of football. Yeah, director of football. So I signed in the January with him. By the time I got there, he'd gone to Chelsea himself in the summer. Because <laughs> you stayed with Derby for the rest of the season. Yeah. 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 But Frank had moved on to Chelsea and was their director of football. When you went to speak to them, what was their thoughts? Was it playing at centre half or was it playing as that defensive hold and midfield player? I don't think it was really discussed at the time. Um, as I say, I was probably. Over the two seasons, it probably balanced itself out 50-50 in both positions. And I've, I felt comfortable in both positions. Um, 
so yeah, I was just happy to to go there and try and get in anywhere. What was your preference though? I always preferred midfield in terms of being involved more. Not that I scored many by <laughs> the number of this on the stats, but having the opportunity to score and make the decisive passes. Um, but I've always been one that is happy as long as they're in the starting eleven. To be honest, I think that's most footballers, isn't it? We've had on. They just want to play. The financial and all this other. They just want to play before anything else, don't they? Well, I think the financial side of it takes care of itself, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because if you're performing, that will take care of itself. It's but you need to be in the team, don't you, to perform? Yeah, exactly. And I think it can be a bonus if you're a bit adaptable and able to play two or three positions. And then you get to a certain age or stage of your career where you probably got to knuckle down and nail one position for sort of the prime years or whatever they call it. Well, I'm just looking at the signings at summer Tottenham. Aaron Lennon, Danny Murphy, Edgar Davids. You'll learn some off him, won't you? Yeah, no, Edgar was class. Um, watching him grow, grow up, growing up watching him and then seeing how professional he was. Um, I think he'd not long before been at Barcelona and helped them get over the the hurdle to win La Liga for the first time in a few years. So you know what a special player was. Same with Murph watching him at Liverpool for many years. And then he went, did he go to Charlton? Did he come to Tottenham from Charlton? From Charlton, uh, yeah. Yeah, so luckily for myself, because I look back now and moving 150 miles away from home as an 18 year old to live by yourself for the first time and fend for yourself in London was was a big thing. But myself and Aaron Lennon, we'd known each other from being 15 in the Victory Shield England squad. Um, we ended up living in the same apartment block so we could sort of bounce off each other and it was made slightly easier transition because he was living so close. It's a big thing though, though. there's probably more clubs now got more people helping you to settle, ain't you? Back in the day, it's weren't as big, were it? No, it weren't. We had two play liaison officers, to be fair, at Spurs who did help out with certain things. But if you're an 18 year old coming in, it's not as if like you're the transfer record that's coming in and they've got to really make sure that you're on it to perform at the weekends. You sort of less left to get on with your own devices kind of thing. I suppose, like you said, having Aaron there and a friendly face helps both of you settle in. And that probably makes a difference, doesn't it? Yeah, 100%. As I say, I moved down from Nottingham. Aaron moved down from Leeds. My second year at Derby, I passed my driving test, so I moved back home. Aaron was at Leeds and he's from Leeds, so he was living at home as well. So there's a big change. Um, there was a lot of young British players signed in and around that time. So it was a nice dressing room to be in. Did you move back home to Derby? Oh, no. You said when you passed your test? Yeah, I moved back to Nottingham. Oh, sorry. And I was just, yeah. Were you travelling every day then? Yeah, it's only about 30 minutes up the A52. Yeah. But I needed to get out of the digs. We had 11, 11 lads in the digs, so it was a bit carnage, as you can imagine. Yeah, no sleep there, is <laughs> nah. there? But mentioned earlier on, Glenn Oddle, bit of a hero of yours. Got to go out and play over, didn't you, on loan? Now, for a normal fan, how does it work the loan? Do you have a choice? Do you get told you're going out on loan? Um, obviously, if you're not playing regular in the first team, other clubs will inquire if you're available. Obviously, when I weren't playing, Derby wanted me back on loan, but the club was sort of saying no. And then Wolves had just been relegated. Um, I went on a month's loan initially. I think Paul Lynch was injured at the time, so it was 
not that you can fill in for Paul Lynch, but it was sort of to a midfield replacement for Paul Lynch. And that ended up being a three month loan spell. So, and that, not that I was falling out of love with football, but I went to Spurs, I mean, played two full seasons and then got there. Some days I weren't even training with the first team. And you're just losing something that you've had. If you've played every game for two years and then you're going somewhere, not expecting to play every game, but I was expecting to play more in them first few months. So that loan move in maybe October, November to Wolves was the perfect timing for me mentally. Mentally and a blessing in disguise just for... Yeah, like pitch, isn't it? just to get back out in front of fans again and playing in that first team environment. And yeah, it was a great group of players, real seasoned pros that have gone on to do excellent things in their careers. What was he like, Glenn? Was he a good manager? He used to join, I know people say it from the England squads, but he used to join in and he was incredible, honestly. Still? He was probably mid-50s then, I guess. No, maybe a bit younger. But he would join in, he would say, all right, lads, this game we're going to play two-touch. It would come into him, he would flick it up with his left, hit a pass volley with his right foot. Next one, flick it up with his right, it volleys with his left foot, honestly. And then we'd, if we did set pieces, his demos were the best um, out of every player there. And he used to have some great set pieces. I, th I thought he was a really good manager. Um, and growing up watching him manage England, I wish... If he'd been there longer, I think we might have done better in tournaments around that time. So back to Spurs, but in... 2006-07 season, 25 starts, three goals. Two of them were pretty early on in the same game, so that record could have been better. But yeah, I knew when I went back to Tottenham after the loan, it was looking likely that Michael Carrick was going to be moving to Manchester United, which he did in the end. Um, so that sort of freed up that deep-lying midfield position a little bit. So I knew I, I would have more of an opportunity that season. Um, and thankfully, yeah, got quite a bit more game time. How did you find it, Premiership, from the Championship? Um, obviously, the, the quality is better and decision-making is better. I'd probably say the intensity in the Championship is a bit more like hustle and bustle with the Premiership. If you give somebody off a second longer on the ball than they should have, they will find that pass, they'll hit the target with their shot. Um, and the teams are a lot more clinical. I'm just looking at the front three you had there. <laughs> Berbatov, Robbie Keane, Defoe. Exactly. Like some <laughs> strike force. Don't forget Mido. Or Mido. Yeah. Now, midfielder's dream, to be fair. Um, all of them can receive it into feet. All of them can stretch it in behind. So, yeah, it was a, it was a, a lot of teams then as well had four good strikers, I think. The model set by Man United in the yeah, late yeah, 90s. Was, yeah. Sheringham, Solskjaer, Cole and York. A lot of teams tried that and difficult to keep four striking egos happy at the same time. Um, but yeah, Martin Yole tried to do it. And as you say, them four are really good players. I'm going to put you on the spot. Best player out of them four. I'm going for Defoe, mate. I'm just like him. I always have. Yeah, I've, I've always said Berber's the best player I've played with. From start to finish his time at Tottenham, he was incredible. I, as I said earlier, I used to watch a lot of European football and him at Leverkusen was like high level stuff he would used to do. And then when he came to Spurs, he was exactly the same. That's some players in the bar, isn't it? 
John of Eagles, I mean, did he carry a little bit of an ego? Did he have something? Because he had that something extra, didn't he? Yeah, I think it was confidence more than anything. Mm -hmm. He was quite, he's quite lively now on his social media and stuff. But when he was playing, he was quite introverted and almost kept himself to himself. But he would join in the banter every so often. But I think it's more, more confidence in your ability rather than people see it as being big time and stuff like that. But I think it was just confidence. And looking, looking else there, Robbie Keane. I mean, Robbie was a fantastic player. Gives his all in every game. Jermaine Defoe, clinical finisher. Give him a chance and it's in the back of the net, no question. And then you've got Meadow. I would say Meadow's the one there that would always be battling for a for a starting position. I think Martin Yo worked with him at Ajax before, so he knew how to get the best out of him. Um, but yeah, you literally... It was obviously Berber and Meadows, the two bigger strikers, or Keane and Defoe. And then there was a spell where Keane and Berbatov were just unplayable um, as a pair, and it was difficult for sort of Martin to leave them out. But when you've got the other two coming off the bench, you've, you've got half a chance of scoring goals. You're chasing again, that's something yeah. hard to chase, isn't it? Eh? But also, it keeps everybody on their toes because whoever starts is going to be looking over their shoulders. If an hour's gone, <laughs> you know, you're chasing a goal or whatever, you know there's going to be changes and you'd be quite happy bringing either on. Yeah, exactly. I think nowadays a lot of teams, they have the main striker, don't they? And then it's quite a big drop-off to the sub-striker, uh, whereas then they're all of a good level. Yeah. 2008, what a season here. League Cup final against Chelsea. Come on. Change the game, two goals. <laughs> Well, yeah, I was obviously disappointed not to start anyway. And then we had one day Ramos at the time and a lot of games, if we were losing, he would take a centre-back off, bring me on, and the other midfielder would play just in front of the back three that were left. And that seemed to work a lot of the time. Uh, we'd get results in the second half. But it didn't seem like he trusted me to start a match. And then, yeah, coming on in the cup final against Chelsea... Uh, helped win the penalty, Berber scored and then Woody got one in the face for the winner in, in extra time and I'm as amazed as anyone, it's still the last trophy that Tottenham have won 15 years later, yeah. it's incredible really. What a win, wasn't it? Yeah, especially at the time, that Chelsea team were serial winners and 11 sort of... They was a bit heavily favourites, wasn't they? Yeah, massively. Um, the spine of the team was Chet. Terry, Lampard, Drogba, filtered with Ashley Cole, SEN, players like that. So, yeah, it was a massive achievement for us because it was a long time before Tottenham beat Chelsea. Uh, so, to do it in a cup final was special. What was he like, Ramos? The language barrier sort of culturally was... The lads found it difficult to get that connection with him. Um, I always thought his, his sessions were good. But if you need um, an interpreter to get them ideas across, you're always... And if you're ranting and raving as a manager and you need the interpreter to try and replicate that emotion, it's, it's difficult. But I thought his ideas were good. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was the wrong time at the wrong place for him. You said earlier there that you felt he didn't trust you to start the game. What did you do to change his mind? Or what were you? Could you go and have a chat with him? Was there that understanding? Was it through an interpreter? How did he 
Um, at that age and generally throughout my career, I've never really been one to be knocking on the door and asking questions. I'd rather just train hard, train properly and wait for my opportunity. Um, so I'm not sure. He was only there about eight months. Mm. Um, and towards, before that cup final, obviously he'd won a lot with Seville. I think he was, he almost sacrificed the league and it was like, right, I'm going to, whilst I'm in England, I'm going to win a trophy. And he did. And then started the next season, I think we had two points after eight games. So it was like, it's yeah. hard to switch it on and off, isn't it? So he goes, Harry Redknapp comes in. Did that change it for you? Initially, yeah. Harry came in and do, does what a lot of managers do, especially British ones. The five subs and the three that are out of the squad. Lads, you in the team. And myself, Jamie O'Hara, David Bentley. A lot of us come in that hadn't been starting that regular and results picked up. And then obviously Harry got a feel for his squad, what he needed. And yeah, I played quite a lot under Harry before I got injured, to be honest. Was he one of them like a people's manager? You know, like the players just, just liked him kind of thing? Yeah, I was, I was still probably 21, 22 at the time. So I never had that close relationship that more senior pros might have with a manager. But yeah, tactically, we didn't walk through 11 v 11s every day and stuff like that. It was more, I've signed you to do that, so do it. You're good at that, so do it. And just made it simple for everyone. Got a bit of Brian Clough in him, have That era. But again, after having, especially a foreign manager as well, we maybe complicated it too yeah. much for somebody to come in and strip it right back and start from scratch again. It was probably a welcome thing at the time. Yeah, it's a breath of fresh air for the lads. Um, you've gone from, as you say, interpreters and different drills in training, which are good, but quite complicated when they've got to go through a third person to get to the players. Um, and then Harry just coming in, keeping it simple, getting the lads smiling again and limiting the amount of time you spend in a hotel before games and stuff like that. And happy players are more likely to perform, aren't they? Um, and you give everyone confidence. You're good at that, so make sure you keep doing that and not worrying about your deficiencies, just focusing on the positives. Definitely. Playing a lot, getting in the Champions League. Enjoy that, listening to the music. Yeah, no, that, the season before was probably my best season at Spurs. I think I played... 35 of the 38 league games and about 40 to 45 games in total. Um, and even like we say, that's right place, right time. First game of the season, Jermaine Jenis has an injury. I start that first game. We beat Liverpool and the season's off and running from there. Um, but yeah, that it was touch and go as well because we finished fourth, which means you have to do the qualifying. And because I had an ankle issue, we play young boys at Burn who play on an AstroTurf pitch. So the physios were like to the manager, probably shouldn't play this one. And I think I've just grafted my nuts off last season to get us in this place. And then you're leaving me on the bench. 25 minutes in, we're 3-0 down. And I'm thinking, 38 games of graft is just gone in. And he ends up bringing me on after 30 minutes and just says... After 30 minutes? Yeah. He's like, get us playing, calm everyone down. Uh, and sort of feel our way back into the game. We ended up losing the game 3-2, but we knew with one goal deficit, once we got them back to White Hart Lane, under the lights, nighttime game, that uh, we would do special things. I can't remember if it was 4-1 or 4-0 on the night um, in the second leg. So that 
qualified us for the Champions League, which I think we, des we de deserve for the, the graft we put in the season before. So in the Europa League, just the season before, Greece, Port Salonica, got mentioned in a podcast with Stelios. They're a rowdy bunch, aren't they? Yeah, some of them Europa League games, honestly, the, the atmospheres are the best you'll ever get. And a Premier League team, even though it's not a Man United or one of the massive clubs in England, they still have hold this, the Premier League in the highest echelon they can. Um, the atmosphere there, the best atmosphere I've ever played in, might have been the same season with Besiktas. We ended up beating them 1-0. It was the guys on the, whatever they're called, starting their chance off. And on, I think we got clapped off in the end because of how well we played and dealt with the atmosphere, but that was something different. That's the same Turkey, Greece. They're, just, yeah. they're the biggest passion, aren't yeah. they? They are just passionate, aren't they? Huge. Proper into the ultras, aren't they? Yeah, no, it was, it was a special atmosphere that night. Quickly, off topic, there was some the ultras like in Italy. Yeah. They have got a big say in the football club. So Milan lost against Inter. Yeah. And they had to go to the players, had to go to the ultras, say sorry. And explain yeah. themselves. Yeah, and the, man, and, the, and, the and the manager. But did you notice the manager didn't go to the front? He stood yeah. back a little bit. But talking that, we've got Inter Milan there. What a game in the Champions League you had there, the San Siro and back at White Hart Lane. Yeah, two incredible games. Um, so the first two games in the group, we threw away a, a lead in Werder Bremen and then beat Twente at home. So we was in a good position after two games. Out to Milan to play the reigning European champions. And Gomez got sent off after five, 10 minutes. Yeah. And then, yeah, we're 4-0 down at half time before you know it. And it's thinking this could be 10 because they're the best team in Europe. We've got 10 players and we're 4-0 down, but Gareth Bale started the Gareth Bale show in the second half and made it more respectable and gave Tottenham and himself a, plat um, a platform and a world stage, really. I think he just destroyed them, didn't he? Well, that's Season international, yeah, good. Yeah. But that second half, he was unplayable, wasn't he? I mean, he really was. Pace, power. I think with that, at the time, as I say, Inter had won the treble the year before, including the Champions League. So, Mykon was regarded as probably the best right-back in the world at the time, along with Danny Elves. They had Zanetti on the right-hand side of that midfield as well, who, growing up, I thought he was incredible. 15 years or so at Inter, 100 caps for Argentina. And Gaz just sort of embarrassed them to on the day and scored three identical goals against Brazil's number one at the time in Julio Cesar. So he gave us that confidence going into the second leg, thinking if we can keep 11 players, we've, we've got half a chance. Do you know what just brought me back? Them finishes were unreal as well. And they're right in the corner, weren't they? Yeah, every, every one was a carbon copy of the one before. What were the tactics then, second leg? Give it Gareth. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Was it that simple? Yeah, I think a lot of the time we've... You've got Lennon and Bale on the wings. As a deep-lying midfielder, it's give it one of them to and literally get on the edge of the box because they're going to beat their fullback and they're going to get a crossing. Um, and then Gaz, maybe slightly more than Aaron, added goals into his game, so he didn't necessarily stay wide and cross it. He started driving in and scoring goals. And a little funny story from that game at the San Siro. So I was captain. 
as I say, I love football and always have swapped a lot of shirts down the years. You come off the San Siro at the halfway line and then you walk all the way down the, basically down a tunnel, but it's down the side of the pitch. Walking down there, obviously fuming with 4-0 down. And Mike on's like, you want to swap shirts? And I'm like, I do, but if Harry sees this, I'm going to get a bollock in. <laughs> so I was like, I'll just swap it. Ended up hiding the shirt in my shorts. I'm thinking, the manager can't see this when you're 4-0 down. And then got in the changing room, hid it under my locker and just acted as if I'd thrown my shirt in the skip. Um, so yeah, I managed to get away with that one. Not uh, know you would. <laughs> <laughs> Not know. Is he straight then to the kit man and give us another shirt? They normally put your second half one out anyway. Um, so yeah, I didn't ah, have to, didn't right. have to do there too much asking. The normal fan wouldn't know that. Yeah, a lot of first, a lot of first team environments, especially probably the Premier League clubs and most Championship clubs, you'll have a first and second half kit just in case any rips or blood or whatever it might be. If you're working really hard and it's soaking wet. Yeah. <laughs> London derbies. Obviously, you've got more than one London derby. What was the main one and what? Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. What was your favourite? It's tricky, and I say this to people, and it's not a fact, but it's nice to get people's opinions So. Arsenal's biggest game of the season is Tottenham. Chelsea's biggest game of the season is Tottenham. West Ham's biggest game of the season is Tottenham. You know what I mean? I think when people say who's the biggest club in London, obviously everyone says Arsenal, Chelsea, but it seems that their biggest game of the season is Tottenham. Um, but for us, obviously the Arsenal rivalry is historic, but probably in that spell I was there, it got quite tasty with us and Chelsea. Mm. Um, for whatever reason before the cup final and after the cup final, that was always quite a intense rivalry. I think my eight years at Tottenham, probably for four or five of that, Arsenal were miles ahead of us, technically and probably mentally on the pitch. And then towards the end, we sort of half wrestled a bit of power back. So probably say the Arsenal rivalry, just for historical reasons, but I think in that spell, and maybe when Pochettino's there as well, the Tottenham-Chelsea one got, gets feisty. Coming to an end at Tottenham, did you see it coming? Were the people asking for a move or were you ready to move on? A bit of everything, to be honest. I, as I say, I've been there eight years. Before my last season, as I say, I was playing regular under Harry, probably missed about 18 months on and off. By the time I got back fit, Harry had left, AVB had come in wasn't really his cup of tea in pre-season. Almost went on loan to Stoke and Fulham. 
that didn't happen. And that last season, I probably played 28 to 30 games. So I'm still involved, but you just know when you're not Did really... Did you just know? Yeah, when you're not really fancied. Change of scenery. And I think Hull and Sunderland had bids accepted. So if they're accepting bids, you know, <laughs> yeah. your time's up. Um, so, yeah, it was a decision to make out of them too. Steve Bruce, do it for you then. I met Steve in a hotel in St Pancras. And as you see from his interviews, he's a likeable man. Um, he's charming. He was explaining, this is what I want the team to be, sort of build it around you, um, looking to sign him, him, him and him. And it was quite a British squad. And that night I had to ring Paolo Di Canio <laughs> to have a chat. And he was the complete opposite. He was telling me then, what do you want to do? Are you going to come or not? If you don't decide in the next sort of 24 hours, I'm going to have to go and sign somebody else because the season starts on Saturday. And it was just like chalk and cheese, the two of them. So, and they signed 13 players that summer. None of them had ever played in England. So I thought they're more likely to struggle. I know three or four of the lads at Hull. Uh, so yeah, it's quite quite a straightforward decision after speaking to the managers. And two managers, yeah, the exact opposite, polar opposites, aren't they really? One probably, yeah, both are passionate, mm -hmm. but one could be a total nutcase as yeah. well. And probably you never would know how you stood with them. Do you know what I mean? You'd be in one week, out the next. And yeah. whereas Steve, probably that calming influence, telling you they're going to build around you as well, which, you know, rather than kind of threatening you about your contract, yeah. you make your own mind up. Yeah, no, Steve was, he was straight throughout the sort of three years he was there. Um, he was honest up front, played me a lot of games, which always helps. And a newly promoted team, you never know which way it's going to go. But I felt confident in myself, first and foremost, and the lads that he was wanting to sign that, we could have a good season. It, it turned out to be a great season that first year. It did. 40 games, four goals, FA Cup final. Took it to the wire, Arsenal beat you back in the extra time. Yeah. That... So you've had the high of Wembley <laughs> and the low here now, aren't you, in extra time? Yeah, that's that's still the most probably devastating game of my career, thinking back. Um, we'd sort of stayed up relatively easy in the end so we could after the semi-final, which was the best game I've been involved in against Sheffield United, we could almost just focus on the final. Um, and we we actually watched it back the following season. And I think we went 2-0 up in 10 minutes and they hadn't hardly touched the ball. Um, so the manager was saying, like, this is how you can play, just need it on a more consistent basis. But when you play in Arsenal, gets to extra time and they're bringing on Wilshire. Riziki got 100 caps for Czech Republic and we're just, we're out on our feet. Um, we're almost praying that it gets to penalties and it makes it a 50-50 game. But as a kid, I'm probably the the last generation who fully respects the FA Cup final. Um, I remember growing up watching Cantona's goal against Liverpool and that was like the pinnacle match of the season every year. So to be involved in one looking back was something special, but yeah, the way we got beat is, I've still not watched that. That's one of the only games or highlights I've not watched back. Yeah, I watched no. Still else. Yeah, it's disappointing because, yeah, to have an FA Cup on the CV would have been, would have been nice. And at the time, Arsenal, I don't want a trophy for years, so it would have been nice to 
keep that trend going. <laughs> Season after, didn't go great, got relegated. But normally, say when you get relegated, it's hard to come back in it. They say that the championship's the hardest, but straight back up. Yeah, the relegation season was uh, frustrating for many reasons. I thought we had a good squad and the manager added sort of three or four what you class as flair players to an hard-working group and it just didn't quite go. But because of the money spent, they played quite a few games and it, as I say, it just didn't quite work. Uh, we went down and that summer I had offers from West Ham whole it was the buyout clause that they wanted their money back basically and there was a bit of money difference and they they couldn't agree but we managed to keep majority of the squad together um i think we was when we got promoted there was top on maybe boxing day mm. we beat burnley three nil boxing day they didn't lose a game from then till the end of the season and ended up winning the league and we ended up finishing in the playoffs but Back at Wembley, happy times yeah. again. No beat Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, that was similar to what I said with Derby and Preston. Sheffield Wednesday were almost our bogey team that season. We we didn't play well against them, um, but on the day, I, it's one of the most confident I felt. Not arrogance or anything. I just felt we can't lose this game with the players we've got. That we can't lose this game, but we tried our best in the second leg of the semis to mess it up. Because we beat Derby 3 0 at Pride Park, who had battered us twice during the season. And then in the second leg at the KC at the time, I think they were they were 2 0 up after 15 minutes. So it was in the balance. Uh, but we managed to get to the final, and um, their keeper had a worldie on the day, but Modi the army managed to stick one in the top bin, thankfully. Yeah, it was a player in, wasn't it? Yeah, player. yeah, he's very good. good so back to the Premiership. This would have a bit tasty. Four managers you had that season, didn't you? <laughs> Did start off great, start the season. Mordi Army sold to Newcastle, four million. Were you thinking in pre-season now? It's going to be hard now this season. Yeah, that pre-season was a shambles in general. Um, we almost had more managers that year than we had players at the start. We went to Austria, and I think there's a, a picture that's done the rounds on the social media of like the full squad, the senior players. And I think there was nine of us uh, filled in with young lads that had never played first team football, never been on loan anywhere. So it was, it was all fresh. Steve left halfway through pre-season. <laughs> Mick Phelan took over and it started well. I think we won the first two and drew one, the first three games. So we're off to, a, we beat Leicester and they just won the league actually. Uh, so everything was looking half decent but then with such a thin squad it's it's going to catch up with you eventually which it did do you know that yourself or you just look around the dressing room and think this is going to be a struggle there? um a bit of both you're still confident that you can you can do good things but i think the longer the season goes on and just around christmas time maybe november it was you could see that it weren't quite happening You'd imagine that the team you could put on the park would be okay. Yeah. But as soon as injuries bite in and as soon as suspensions that start to hit, that's when you start to struggle. Yeah, exactly. Especially once the cup competitions come in, newly promoted team, you're in the cups around before as well. So it soon takes its toll. Um, 
We did sign a few players in the back end of the window, but I think a few of them were probably panic buys and not sort of structured uh, to what we needed at the time. So coming to your time at Hull, was it a contract offer from Derby or did the contract just finish at Hull? Um, I actually had a buyout clause, which I didn't realise until Derby activated it. <laughs> right. um, so Derby activated the buyout clause and again, that pre-season, uh, Slutsky had taken over at Hull and the first three weeks were fine, enjoyable. But you look, we went to Portugal and you're looking around the squad. Andy Robertson left, Harry Maguire left. I knew Sam Klukas was likely to leave. And it was like me and Dawson as senior players. Curtis Davis had left to Derby. Jake Livermore and Snodgrass had left in the January. So I'm looking at the squad thinking this isn't going to be a productive season. Derby activated the uh, release clause. And that last year when I was at Hull, I was up and down from Nottingham anyway, because my missus at the time, who's now my wife, was pregnant with our first child. So I was doing the commuting to keep them sort of settled. So moving back to Derby made, made a lot of sense for family reasons. And looking at that Derby squad at the time, when I first signed, we should have got promoted because that, if I go through 22 players, two in literally every position, it, it would have been as good as any any championship team, uh, but we just didn't quite, didn't quite manage to stay in the top two. And then we lost in the playoffs to a good Fulham team who ended up going up. Oh, okay. you just fixed that. <laughs> Not a problem, just Gary Rallow. He, he's done all right, is he? Is he at Birmingham still, man? Millwall. So Millwall, yeah, he's done all right. He's in the playoffs. He's another like, player and straight into management, hasn't he? Yeah, he's done, well, he's done well everywhere, I think. Uh, his job, they got rid of him when they were like fifth at the Birmingham, didn't they, to bring Zola in, to bring a name in. And then they just fell off. Uh, coming to Derby as an ex-Derby player, done really well. Uh, yeah, so. What a familiar, but a familiar four come in, Frank Lampard. No, I'm going to try and turn it around now. So he come in, he brought Mason Mount with him. Were you tasking to like nurturing or anything? No, not really, to be fair. Um, as I said a few times, now I'm coaching, I realise how tough a job that would have been for Frank. Your first ever job, you actually, I find it difficult at times coaching, never mind being a manager of a football club as your first ever job in that environment. Um, Mountie come in, Harry Wilson, Tamori, them three were excellent for us that season. Um, so yeah, Frank probably found it difficult and didn't communicate maybe as well as he, he does now or would do now with the more senior players in the squad, I would say. Um, but yeah, some that team we had a lot based around them three was really good and exciting to watch. I suppose that's like anything that you know, you could learn. So you do do a mistake, you don't learn, do you? No, as Tom said, it's a difficult one, isn't it, coming in to be the main guy, to actually organise everything, to do the coaching, organise the coaching, the travel. I mean, he'd, he'd have his nose in everything, wouldn't he? Yeah. And his finger in everything. And not just that, when you're the main guy making the decisions on players and stuff like that, it was a good season for him, wasn't it? Because he, he did really well and he came across with it. Yeah. No, it was a good season, but I think 
because of the way we played was exciting and on the front foot, I think it gets blown a bit out of proportion in terms of we only finished one point better than we did with Rawat the season before. Um, obviously, went one step better in the playoffs, but we lost to Villa in the final. But I think the fans enjoyed it more because under Rawat, it was quite a rigid 4-4-1-1. And we had Vidra as a number 10 who got a lot of goals that year. Whereas the season with Frank, everybody chipped in with their goals. It was a younger team, probably more exciting to watch. Like you said, it's just a little bit of the razzmatazz as well because it's Frank Lampard, because he's brought these players in. Gary Rowett, like you said, more structured. I hate to say probably a little bit boring at times yeah. because of that. It just seemed like he was going for it every game, Lampard, and probably that kind of conned you in a way, doesn't it? Yeah, a little bit. As I say, for the purists and the neutrals watching it, yeah. you'd think, oh, they've had a massively better season, especially when he gets the Chelsea job on the back of it. But in reality, it was only... One place, uh, one place, and one point better off than the year before. Do you think that one season was enough for him, or did you feel it was the Chelsea job was too early for him? I think he would probably admit the Chelsea job was too early for him. Um, obviously, if he wasn't who he was in his playing career at Chelsea, they wouldn't be getting a manager who's finished fifth. But I think he had the agreement with the manager, and rightly so, that he wants to stay long term at Derby, but. If Chelsea come in as the only club, um, he can't stand in his way. And that first year at Chelsea, I thought they were exciting to watch again uh, on the front foot. And to finish in the top four with a young team, um, I thought he did excellent. Did. Just to go back, Wembley again, lost to Villa. You've had everything at Wembley, haven't you? Highs, lows, but you played at Wembley <laughs> quite a lot of times, haven't you? Yeah, no, quite a few times. Been fortunate. Um, yeah, that Villa game, that's frustrating because I think we we half messed up in terms of the second leg of the semis against Leeds. We played a system that we've, we'd never played throughout the season, which was like a 4-4-2 diamond, which caught Leeds off guard. We beat them at Ellen Road to get to the final. And in hindsight, if we'd reverted back to what we was used to, I think we would have probably maybe stood a better chance against Villa in the final, but we stuck with a 4-4-2 diamond, which is fair enough. It's all hindsight, isn't it? Um, and yeah, they were better than us on the day. So Frank left. Philip Koku comes in. Didn't go well, did it? Uh, or did not a bit, was it a bit of a hangover? It was a bit of everything. Uh, so, like you just mentioned, my three seasons at Derby, we had three different managers. We went from organised and a bit rigid under Rawat, but effective when we was on the counter-attack. Front foot pressing with Frank and exciting young players. And then Koku come in who, he needed the squad that Rawat had. Everyone late 20s, early 30s, training was a bit slower and a bit more tactical. And the year before Jody Morris and Frank, everything was, you, you're working for however long, and you're giving 100%, whereas Koku was quite slow and methodical with everything. And by this time, we had a lot of the younger players with us, and it just, they just want to be running around, don't they, and pressing and not worrying too much about tactics at that age. But I think just the timing of it wasn't great for him. Do you think it's the case that the, young, the younger players, you just said it there, Tom, that they just want to play, 
Yeah. And it's boring to them if they've got to go through shape and they've got to go through tactics. And do you know what I mean? Just let me give the ball and play. Yeah, exactly. I think there was times under, obviously now everything's recorded, all the GPS data. With Jody and Frank, we would maybe do hour and 20 minute session and you're covering six and a half, seven K. With Cocky, we do two hours out there and we're covering 4K. You know what I mean? And for younger players, for the senior ones, that was that was fine. You understood why he was doing certain things based on the opposition, but for your teenagers and your lads in the early 20s, they just want to be pressing, doing five-a-sides, possession games and stuff like that. But it was a little bit too slow tempo for a majority of the squad, I would say. One last season, Ingo, back to Hull City. How was that? Optionless, uh, how was that? How was it? You're getting old now, 35, 36. Do you start to think how many years I've got left in this? Well, it, it was about 18 months before that that was really difficult. So when COVID came in, I was recovering from an Achilles injury. Um, thought I did enough, to be fair, when we come out of lockdown, to was in good shape and... Before I got injured, I'd played every game under Koku, uh, but Derby, in hindsight, realised they had financial issues, which we didn't know at the time, didn't offer anything. And I ended up going that next season without a club, which was the first time since... What, full season? Full season without a club. Um, and it would have been easy just to go, I've had, in, I've had enough and stuff like that, especially with the lockdowns and stuff like that, everyone probably struggled mentally and physically and stuff. Um, but I didn't want to bow out on the back of an injury kind of thing. And then a lockdown season. Um, so yeah, I kept my fitness up, speaking to clubs, but as I mentioned earlier, once you're over 28, 29, there's no resale value. Probably a lot of managers are a bit paranoid that you might want to come in and take their job in six months, which would never be the case. Um, so yeah, I thought I'd give myself this next pre-season. If nothing happens, then I'm not going to keep holding on for nothing. And yeah, thankfully I messaged, he used to be the academy manager when I was at Hull before, who was now with a first team. Just said, if you, if you haven't made all your signings, if you're still looking at players, is it okay to train for a couple of weeks? No obligation, no pressure. If you don't like what you see or the manager's not interested, that's fine. I'm old enough to take it on the chin. And he's like, yeah, come in for two weeks. And literally after five days, to be fair to Grant McCann, he said, your fitness is miles ahead of where I expected it to be after not playing for a year. I uh, think it'd be good for the group. Uh, we'd like to offer you something, so. Brilliant. That year that you went with no club, did any come close or really close no, which was surprising, frustrating and disappointing all rolled into one because, as I say, after the first lockdown, and I'd played 15 games in the championship that season. Uh, so, yeah, after lockdown, got really fit. Um, was sort of saying to my agent, I'm happy enough to go and trial or show myself at clubs if, if that's what they want for a week or two, but I'm not doing like go there for a month, go there for a month. If they want to see me for a week or two, I'm happy to do that. And yeah, nothing was really, nothing was really popping up for whatever reason. I can't believe that. I really can't, honestly. 
with your with your career and with well with you as a person as well. I can't believe nobody was on that phone straight away to you. No, that's why it was annoying because I've always, as I say, I'm fairly laid back anyway. I've always tried to do the right things in and around the changing room. I've never been a bad egg. Never had any fallings out with any manager. Obviously, I've disagreed with a few if I'm not playing and stuff, but it's not as if a manager might ring an ex-manager and say, what's he like? And him shouldn't really have that much of a negative word to say about me. So, yeah, it was surprising and frustrating for that year. Um, and it didn't help that we we kept getting locked in our houses for weeks on end. Didn't help anybody, no. Take you on then, so Hull, 11 appearances. I got down at Hull. How did that go under Grant McCann that season? Um, again, frustrating. So obviously I got there late in pre-season, so wasn't ready for the start of the year. Um, and yeah, just partly bad luck. And so I played, played a game, played the week after on the Saturday and we had a game on the Tuesday. So he said to me, get yourself ready for the next Saturday because you've not played for so long. I don't want to play you three games in a week. I was like, you want to play every game, don't you? But I was like, yeah, that's fine. Four of us had to train on the Tuesday because it was Wednesday off. Felt cramp in my hamstring. Ended up scanning it. It was quite a bad injury. <laughs> Rehab from that, which was long, boring. And then came back, first game, nearly scored a worldie against Peterborough, hit the post, and then a recovery run. Felt a little twinge, could have carried on, but I thought I'd just come off as precaution. Scanned it and it was the same injury. So, yeah, missed a bit of time with that. And then new owners took over in January. New manager come in. He was in for 25 games and I didn't start one, which was, I think he won one out of the first 13 and still wasn't. He probably played five or six lads in centre midfield. Even away at QPR, I got left out of the squad for whatever reason. And he played one of the centre-halves in midfield. So I knew I weren't his cup of tea for whatever reason. So the season obviously comes to an end. And then Man United. How did that come about? That was a random one again. Um, I didn't have an agent at the time. I did the whole deal myself. Um, and then, yeah, Paul McShane, who I played with at Hull, mm -hmm. he did the role I do currently. Um, last season, we'd spoke about the role and I was saying, obviously, knowing Maka how he is, it would have been the perfect role for him because he's intense on the training pitch and that's what the young lads need and he's got a lot of experience. And he just said, he's not doing that no more. He's doing 100% coaching and he's put my name forward for it. And I was like, I still want to play, but if nothing pops up in, I'm not waiting another year again, if nothing's happening in two two weeks or so, then I would sort of take them up on the offer. Um, and yeah, it's been, it was, I had the opportunity obviously to play at, at a few clubs, a few League Two clubs were like, we'll get you in on a trial for a couple of weeks. And these are like three or four hours away from home. And I'm thinking, I'm not going on trial at, X amount of clubs or whatever. And I thought rather than having a token 
25, 30 games in League One, League Two or the conference, I would rather start the next chapter of my hopefully long career, which should be coaching. So yeah, I took Man United up on that offer. And yeah, love it, loving the role to be fair. It's, I would definitely, if any players that are coming to the end are thinking about doing it and you're thinking about coaching in the future, it's, it's the perfect hybrid role to keep training, keep the competitiveness of training and playing the odd game here and there, but equally seeing what goes on behind the scenes from a coaching aspect, analysing every session, analysing opposition that you're going to play and then reviewing your own training sessions and matches. And is that the ambition now, coaching? Yeah, I think initially I've never seen myself being a manager because of my character and the way I am, but I think eventually I would love to be back in a first-team environment, whether that's as a manager or as an assistant manager, um, just to get that. In the, in the academy setup. it's about developing, so the results aren't the be-all and end-all, whereas having played for 16, 17 years, whatever it is, you miss that results-dependent kind of thing. As much as you want to keep improving the team and players, you want the Saturday afternoon to be about getting the three points. You want the competitive, yeah. don't you? And the, the rush as well. And, and it's like, well, you're starting in the right position to work your way. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And it'd be nice. That's why I say with Frank, that job must have been hard because even after a year of being in and around it, I still couldn't see myself now going to be the manager at a big championship club or a big League One club, you know what I mean? I'd want to be assistant manager or a first-team coach for a season or two before ever taking taking that step up. But you're taking your time with the steps yeah, rather than jumping at them and it's yeah. going to stand you in better stead going forward. Yeah, getting that knowledge yeah. and confidence in yourself as well because everyone that's played or even fans, everyone's got their own ideas in their head of what the game should look like but getting that across to 15, 20 lads and then buying into it is completely different to you having them in your head. So up to this point, in your role, would you prefer playing or would you prefer just coaching? On it, I've, in, I've enjoyed both. Apart from, I got reeled into playing 90 minutes a, a couple of months ago against Arsenal on Old Trafford. Obviously, it's under-21s game, but you allowed three overage players, so that was a difficult night. Um, but yeah, I think I still feel fit enough and I still enjoy training and stuff like that, so... We'll see what happens next season. Um, but yeah, I've loved this season and doing the dual role has been been excellent. Let me jump on to England just before we, we, we finish, you know, because we can't go on without uh, mentioning England. Four camps for England, but in, in a few squads as well. Capello was the first one, brought you in there. And in saying that, 33 games for the under-21s, mm -hmm. five goals, under 21 so you were in there for a for a good spell you're in with the bricks with it with the 21 <laughs> so i mean they knew what they were getting with it with a big team four caps did you think you should have got more caps or were you happy with the four obviously as a kid i would have been happy with one uh, so i'm happy with four i felt at times i could have justified getting a couple more but for a centre mid it was a bad bad time to be english because you had Stevie G, Lampard, Carrick, Scott Parker, Gareth Barry, three or four of them 
I think he's forgetting the schools as well. He was just he was just before me. Right. He'd retired early, didn't he? Um, but then three or four of them are getting to the semi-finals of Champions League every sing every season. So for a manager to leave any of them out for a younger player, it's impossible. Yeah. So what did you make of Capello? Looking back now, I don't think I ever had a proper chat with him. And for like a younger player coming in a squad, you would think they would welcome you in and have a, have a bit of a brief chat. But I might be my dodgy memory, but I honestly don't remember having any proper, especially one-to-one -one dialogue with him. I think Big Week said the same, didn't he? No, Big Week said they used Carlin Postman Post. Yeah. Park, <laughs> <laughs> but you'd expect that on Big Weeks, would you? <laughs> but yeah, it was... And I think, having listened to like Rio and a few of the big players from then, they're probably a bit underwhelmed with him. This reputation from Italy, he was like, mm. he's a bit of a god in Italy, isn't he? But didn't quite click with the England squad. But not so bad, like you said, though. Four caps. It's nice on the cake, really, to a, a fantastic career when you when you look at it, because it's you look back upon it, England's a pinnacle, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Especially that first game, so I made my debut against Brazil, which if you had to pick any opposition, you'd probably choose Brazil. It was out in Qatar. My agent at the time took my mum out there to watch. Uh, I think we finished 1-1, but I had an opportunity to nick it 2-1 as well, but I didn't quite get the volley away in time. Um, top shirts with Gilberto Silva. Uh, so I've still got that and my first off shirt. Um, so yeah, looking back, it is exciting. If it had been in a slightly different era, maybe five, six years later, um, potentially might have got a few more. It'd been a mainstay in the middle of the park, yeah? Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Talk me through this one, just before we finish. You went through the two and a half years, you didn't get your hair cut, and it wasn't until you scored a goal. Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> but you raised a lot of money, didn't you, for cancer research? Yeah, in the end, uh, thankfully, it raised about £70,000, which was actually the initial target. It just it was a slow burner to get there. So um, when I first got injured with my ankle that I mentioned, I said to my mate, because I'd done it at school once before, I said to my mate from school, I'm not going to cut my ear until I'm back fit and playing. And he's like, you're obviously going to get your ear cut. We're a bit older, you're going out and whatever. I said, oh, I'll set it up for charity. So it's set in stone. So I set it up for charity. That three-month injury turns into... 18 months on and off. I probably played about six games in the meantime. Got the move to Hull and it took me, until, well, I scored on my birthday, 28th of December. So it took me half a season to finally score. And then, yeah, it was, when I, I had three operations in 15 months on my ankle and I'm thinking, I've set this up for charity. If I don't get back fit and don't score, am I allowed to have my ear cut or am I just gonna have to leave it for the rest of my life? But yeah. At the time, I had 70,000 followers on Twitter. So in my head, naively, knowing social media now, I thought, if they all donate a quid each, there's your 70,000 pound target. But it didn't quite happen like that. But in the end, we got to that target. So yeah, it look, looked a bit ropey for a few months <laughs> or years, but- um... You just can't see him looking ropey. Would you just, <laughs> no. Ah, it's just, no. <laughs> I might be growing it back again, not as long as that, but might be my last opportunity to grow it. Wow. But no, you've done a fantastic thing there. Like you said, raised a lot of money for a great cause. Even though your hair looked a bit dodgy for a bit. <laughs> it was worth it in the end. 
But no, that's it's been great, man. Uh, We're not finished yet, though. It's important 15, isn't there? We've got the rapid 15 <laughs> to finish with. Right, rapid 15, Tom. Let's get straight into it. White Hart Lane or the new Tottenham Stadium? White Hart Lane. I've not been to the new one yet. Masters of the Open. Masters. Tea or coffee? Neither. Woods or McElroy? Woods. Best stadium played in? Uh, the Bernabeu. Not so shabby. Ronaldo or Messi? Messi. Hole in one? Not yet, pending. <laughs> First result you look for on a Saturday? Proper question, this. Man United at the minute. <laughs> oh, don't you say the <laughs> <laughs> Ryder Cup or the Open? Probably just the Open. Old or new Wembley? Nostalgia would say the old one, but I've only been to the new one, so a new one. Champions League final or the Super Bowl? Champions League final. PGA or live golf? PGA. Favourite manager? Marco Silva and Mourinho, overall. Worst game played in? We lost 7-1 to Spurs at Hull when we was already relegated, but everyone had switched off. Best moment as a player? Probably scoring in the semi-final of the FA Cup against Sheffield United to put us 3-2 in front. That concludes the 15, Tom. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, that was a screamer, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. Goals. You scored some cracking goals. You did. Yeah. Should have been a few more, but... Didn't have hit a ball. Like the way he hits a bloody golf ball. <laughs> you know what I mean? Telling you, next time you see Tom, he'll be off two hot scratch. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.